Do you have questions about the Catholic faith? Are you just listening because you randomly found this podcast? Whatever the reason, we're glad you're listening. From prayer to the Eucharist to exploring the treasures of the Catholic Church, we will talk about the faith in day-to-day life. This is Seeking Sanctus. Alrighty, guys, what's going on? Welcome back to Seeking Sanctus. I'm William Mayberry, and this is episode three of this podcast. And today we have with us Jim Kipis, one of our parish members in seminary to become a deacon. How you doing, Jim? Man, I'm doing great. We had a nice warm Christmas this year, and we're doing the Catholic thing, you know. We're we're celebrating Christmas for what eight days afterwards, because you know we Catholics, we just can't get enough of Christmas. So, just uh, cruising through the Christmas season, loving it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun during Christmas time. Yeah, sometimes I think people uh, they we get done with Christmas, and what are we doing? We're oh well, let's uh, let's look forward to spring weather, you know, and. It's, like, no, we really need to take the time and, and soak in all that the, the church has to offer for these eight days. And there's, there's so much more than, than just the birth of Christ. The, what an adventure that Jesus and, and Joseph and Mary had, uh, you know, right after he was born. Uh, the, um, so I, I, I just love it personally that, that we take the time to, to really chew up those uh, first few chapters of the gospel yeah i agree with that completely it's a fun time of year you get to celebrate jesus's life with your family and friends and it's just an all-around wonderful time yeah i get to do that grandpa thing so that's a lot of fun you know (laughs) i bet um well why don't we open in prayer yeah all righty i have here a prayer friend St. Stephen, patron saint of deacons, figured it'd be appropriate for the episode. That's perfect, William. (laughs) All righty, here we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for giving us St. Stephen as an example of holiness. Help us to imitate the love of you he showed in choosing to devote himself to your service as a deacon in the early church. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Stephen, pray for us. Indeed. All right. Well, I'm just going to open with pretty much the basic question here. So uh, could you tell us what is a deacon? Yeah, we could spend a couple hours on that if if you want to, William. But uh, <laughs> I let's we'll go back to the beginning. We mentioned state saint stephen and he is uh the first uh deacon that we know of uh, he appears in the book of acts um, the apostles in doing their their due diligence as far as ministry uh you know down and dirty ministry with you know witnessing to people and bringing the word of god to people they found out that some of the mechanics uh some of the things that needed done in the early church they didn't have time to do they were being taken away from what was what was really important and so they went and they sought out men uh, that were known to be servants and the word deacon is uh, from the greek diakonia which means basically to serve 
and back in the at the beginning of the church uh, gatherings on on Sunday were were long affairs and usually had a meal and one of the one of the first jobs that the deacons did was to serve at table um, the apostles not that they didn't want to do that but they felt they were being pulled away they didn't have time and so they they sought out men who were willing to, to actually serve the people at table and it worked out really well uh, because as an apostle, they were travelers. They, they had been a lot of places and they may have been in places where they didn't know the people. And so deacons were probably more local people and they knew the congregation. They, you know, they were bringing family, they were bringing friends, they were bringing men that they worked with. And so they were able to be that connection between the apostles and the people. So now we're going to jump forward 2,000 years and think about what you see at Mass on a Sunday morning or Saturday evening when there's a deacon there. The deacon is serving at table. The deacon is the one that reads the gospel. He's bringing the word to the people. So he's that connection between the priest and the people. One interesting thing about bringing the word to the people and a deacon reading the gospel, we were told uh, early on in our formation, William, that if the Pope shows up and he wants to say Mass, that he can say Mass, he can do everything he wants, but the deacon will still read the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to tell Pope Francis, hey, you know, it's, you know, if if, if our Holy Father wants to read the gospel, uh, we'll let him go ahead and read that. But that's, that's one of the jobs of the deacon. And so I, I ask you to look at Mass on Sunday morning. What are some of the other things the deacon does at Mass? He brings the prayers to the people. And again, making that connection from the congregation to the priest to Christ at the altar. Uh, another thing that uh, some of my KC... Uh, friends like to uh, like to bring up is the deacon's the one that does the dishes at mass right i mean after after the eucharist the deacon cleans cleans the table helps clean the table so he's just doing those things to to assist the priest which i think you know you go back to the apostles so i want father robert to really concentrate and be able to you know do the things that he is supposed to do hopefully i take some of that load off hopefully some of the people see that too and they say you know if if jim can get all the way up there and serve in that way maybe there's something you know small that i can do for the church too so hopefully i'm a witness and i'm a i'm a connection i'm a uh a uh i want to say funnel for the people actually to see me and want to step into service. So yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a long history. Uh, we just covered 2000 years, but um, I think we did pretty good. Don't you? Yeah, definitely. I, I really love how you pointed out that uh, you're hoping that the people will like see you and want to serve. Cause I feel like that's something a lot of people don't think about. Like you're, you always hear about how most people they're like, they go to mass because they feel it's an obligation and they're just kind of there. Like, I'm not, I'm not criticizing 
the Catholic Church. I'm just saying <clears throat> about things like that, and I feel like that that's a really good point. If they if they see that, then they probably will want to be able to serve more. And I really like that you pointed that out. One of the the things, and and I'm not a deacon yet, but one of the things that I dream about is having that list in my back pocket of of some, maybe some things that need to be done at church. Um, let's say, you know, I know somebody that has a gift and, and we have done this already. We have some people that have a wonderful gift of uh, taking care of flowers. And did you see this spring, if you saw the uh, west side of the church, uh, some people planted tulips. Uh, they cleaned out the flower beds on that side of church. They got the tulips donated. There was four or five people. And so something simple that they went and they spent maybe two weekends, got that all cleaned up and planted those flowers and everybody just went crazy. They just loved it. And so I hope being that, that little bit closer connection to the people that I can see some of the gifts that people have and maybe give them that little nudge of, Hey, you know what? You're pretty darn good at what you do. Uh, you might consider, doing blank 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 for the church um something as simple as reading on a sunday which to me to be able to open up the scripture and and be a lector on a sunday morning is a tremendous honor and i love doing it do i get nervous yeah sometimes i do get a little i still get nervous you know and sometimes i get that that great big old testament word you know that i'm scared i'm not going to say right but when I'm in a men's Bible study and we take turns reading, you know, I might, I've already said, you know, to a couple of guys in there, hey, you ought to, you ought to think about lecturing on Sunday. Uh, it's really an honor and a privilege to be able to, to open up the word and, and, and be that person to, to deliver the word out to the congregation. So that's one of my dreams is to hopefully recognize gifts in people that maybe they don't recognize themselves. Let people do that for me. Um, and we'll jump forward a little bit, you know, as far as that's one of the things people ask, well, why do you want to become a deacon or when did you decide? Um, the first thing I would say is that it's a calling. It's not something that I got to decide. Um, it's something that, that I think God has for me. And then when I started hearing God through other people, I had people say, you know what, you'd make a good deacon, and I'd just laugh. And all of a sudden, I've heard this from 20 people. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe it, you know, maybe this is something that's real. Maybe this is something I need to think about. How do I start? You know, where, where do I start? Um, and so it was people seeing that gift in me, I hope, that got me thinking about it. And so that's a big thing for me is that when I see a gift in someone else, I want to be, I want to be alert. I want the spirit to work on me and say, hey, this is a gift that you have. You share it. And if you don't think you can do it, um, just pray about it. Uh, if you don't think it's the right thing, pray about it. And you may be surprised at the answer you get. And if you're nervous on Sunday to get up in front of the people and, and ask the prayers of the people or read the scripture or even serve mass, 
we're all nervous when we first start. And then we realize that we're doing something for God. And when we're doing something for God, where else do you, you know, we struggle in our lives of thinking, what, what can I do? You know, what can I do that makes a difference? What does God really want me to do? And when you're doing those things, if you're doing it for God, it's nice knowing that it's nice knowing that, and it, it makes it easier that, Hey, I'm doing this for God right now. I know what he wants me to do today for at least for the next 10 minutes. So, Hey, I'm going to relax and enjoy it. So, um, yeah, definitely. And I mean, like that, that is a really good point. I love that, honestly. And Finally, it just, it was time. It was time to do something and, and, and step up and, and, uh, you know, do my part, do my part to move the kingdom forward. There'll always be, you know, those small seeds of doubt, um, whether I'm doing the right thing and whether I'm in the right spot, is this exactly where God wants me? But one of the things that's been so assuring for me is I've never done anything in my life where so many people wanted me to succeed and will do anything to help me succeed. And I've, you know, I have called Father Robert in the middle of the night, you know, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this and, you know, is this the right thing for me to do? And, uh, you know, he's talked me through a lot of situations. your mom and I have had had talks before and there are spiritual directors. I've had, this is my second spiritual director. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my first uh, spiritual director passed away uh, a little over a year ago, but um, you know, he's guided, he guided me so far and it, it really has been a blessing to move on to another spiritual director who's uh, pushing me in a little bit different direction that, um, than my first one did and but there's just so many people uh you, would, you just wouldn't believe you know, how many people come up and say hey, i'm praying for you i know this is a big deal this is not easy but i'm praying for you and i got your back you know and just small things of we make a trip out to belleville illinois which is where our classes take place once a month um people slip you a $20 bill just for gasoline, you know, and, and, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, it's not that it's expensive, uh, to become a deacon. It does cost a little bit of money. We pay for our own education, but that was covered before I started and people have just helped us out monetarily and things going on at the house. Nope. We'll take care of that. You just go on on your weekend and don't worry about this and just everything. Um, when you start getting that kind of feedback, then you think, eh, maybe this is the right thing. Um, God, I told God I wanted to do this and now God's really backing his promise up. You know, all I had to do was say yes and he will take care of it. Um, and I get to see that. I get to see that in, in, in people like your family and my church family, everybody else in the church family and our priests and, it's an amazing, amazing thing to watch. It is. I, it really is amazing. I agree with you. And you did. I feel like if you're going through a time like that, you just something that with something that helps is just if you're open to if you open your heart to God, no matter what directions He takes to get you there, you're going to end up where He wants you. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
since we're talking about the, the beginning of, of the process, uh, back when I did say yes, the first thing they do, they give you a pretty good size stack of papers. And uh, I had to write uh, basically an autobiography that was, I think, around 30 pages, just told my life story. I had to write two shorter essays. I think one was, uh, you know, how did you receive the call, if I remember right? And that was about a 10-page essay. And then there was another one of what does your wife think about you becoming a deacon? I think were the three papers that we had to write. Uh, and this was just in the application before things got started. Um, we had to find... 25 people to fill out a questionnaire about us. They said, you know, 25 friends. Well, I don't know if I really had, I had to find 25 people that liked me, you know, <laughs> and I didn't want to just give it to, you know, my mom and my sisters and my brothers because they all liked me. I gave that survey to, to a lot of friends, uh, people at work, um, KC members, church members, uh, and even some non-Catholic people that I worked with just, uh, to go ahead and, and give the bishop a, a good a good look. Uh, I figured if there was going to be any problems uh, with however I had lived my life beforehand, that let's do it. Let's get it over with now, you know. And um, in filling out the application, uh, there's a lot of questions about your, you know, your history as far as what you believe. Your upbringing, your teen years, your young adult, uh, just everything you could think of, and and you know I'm I'm not perfect, William, and so there was a there was a few questions in there I'd have to call Father Robert and say, hey, um, you know when I was 18 uh, I did this or I thought this and it wasn't quite perfectly in line of Catholic teaching, and he's like, oh just write it down, just write it down, you're fine, you know, um, they're just they want to look at your journey and how you sought out the Lord. Uh, again, they, I've been so encouraged even by the people at, at the diocesan office that, you know, they want you to succeed. And so, you know, get all the stuff out in the open at the beginning and let them go through it. Uh, the funny thing I can remember um the lady that's in charge of the diaconate program for the Diocese of Belleville, Patty Warner. Um, I will give a shout out to St. Patty. Um, she is a wonderful lady. I, there's just not enough adjectives to, uh, to describe Patty. Uh, I do know that uh, she takes uh, her job and all her young men uh, seriously. Um, I know she prays for us and and just she's so encouraging and, and so loving when I go in to hand my application in, William, it's probably close to probably about three months work, just getting that paperwork filled out where I felt comfortable with it. I think we received that paperwork in uh, in December and it was yeah, it, it was probably late February, early March when I when I was able to turn loose of it all. So then you fast forward a little bit and. It was probably, it was a solid month before we heard back. And then the next thing is, there is a deacon in St. Louis 
that does all the psychological evaluations. I think for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, which we're not part of, but we're so close, I think they just utilize him. His office is right across the street from the Basilica in St. Louis. And I don't know, have you ever been to the St. Louis Basilica? Yeah, I have a long time ago. I'd never been there. And of course, being nervous, we, you know, and in the big city, we probably showed up an hour early. And he said, had told us to park in the parking lot of the Basilica and come across the street. So we're there an hour early. Like, well, I don't want to seem too anxious. Let's go in the Basilica and look around. And it was my first time in there. And it's just an unbelievable building. It's beautiful. And we walked around for a few minutes. And the chapel on the left, I'm, I'm not sure. The one on the right, they have 24-hour adoration in. The one on the left, I'm not sure. It may be a chapel for St. Mary. I'm not really sure. But as you walk into this chapel, there's a picture in a frame outside the door. And there's this man praying in that chapel. And it was John Paul II. And so I told Sonia, I said, well, I guess if this chapel is good enough for him, then uh, maybe you and I ought to go in. And so we went in and knelt at the same place that John Paul II knelt said a rosary for ourselves and uh, that was the beginning of our of our diaconate journey uh, then to go across the street and do the psychological evaluation uh, and it was it was very simple it was wonderful uh, a really good gentleman and so then you get that done and you wait again and then i think the call the call finally came around um mid-August that uh, that our first get-together would be in September and uh, the first year is basically was Saturday seminars our very first Saturday was with Father Julian Peters I will never forget the man he's a monk at St. Minard's um, he taught us how to pray the liturgy of the hours uh, among some other things that day but uh, to be introduced, we had been introduced to the Liturgy of the Hours by your mom, Holly Vaughn, uh, probably six months before, and we were doing kind of a shorter version, uh, but we were told to, you know, we bought the, the four-volume set, and, and we're told to bring those books, and Father Julian taught us how to pray every day, and we found out real quick how important our prayer life is, um, and they actually require us to pray twice a day. Uh, priests pray seven times a day, but deacons are only asked to, to pray twice a day, which ends up a good 40 to 45 minutes a day in prayer when you do morning and evening prayer. Well, that's a, that's a good amount. I mean, uh, it's, not, it's not so long that you're going to be like <laughs> falling asleep while you're praying, but it's a good amount to just be close to God while you do it. They call them the bookend prayers because it's first thing in the morning, about uh, 4.30 in the morning, uh, my wife and I are at the kitchen table looking out the window, praying our morning prayers, which is uh, prayers of thanks. And then in the evening, it's prayers of praise. And so uh, 
uh, usually right after supper. We don't wait till bedtime. You have to be very careful. Uh, I found out praying, you know, especially sitting in bed right at bedtime. Uh, sometimes you'll fall asleep. So we try to pray uh, right after supper every night. And um, and then we, we actually have snuck in some, some other prayer time in our days uh, when we can. Uh, there's some devotions that we really like. Uh, my my wife, Sonia, um, is uh, a devout divine mercy advocate. And so we we do the divine mercy chaplet uh, when time allows. Um, but I will tell you, that's uh, that's been a big, big deal with ministry. And I've I found out that even if I wasn't if, if today they said, you can't be a deacon, I would hope that I could keep my prayer life up uh, where it's at. Um, anytime that I've had a, a situation, a problem, um, people, you know, the first thing they say is, oh, have you prayed about it? And I, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, come on, you know, I'll talk to father about something and hey, this is bothering me. And I'm uh, kind of struggling with this and he'll say, and I'll say, now, father, if you tell me I have to pray about it, I'm not, that's not what I want to hear. And he'll say, well, you know, Jim, uh, if you, you really need to be praying about this and I'm like, darn it, you know, but I found out they're right. Uh, all that you've heard about prayer is true. Um, I can really feel if I do slough off on those prayers uh, or eh, I'll skip this morning uh, now that's not a good thing. I haven't made that, that connection with my Lord at the first thing in the morning. And, uh, I need that, you know, I don't just need Sunday mass going a whole week. Uh, I need that connection in the morning, in the evening, um, every day. I, I need that connection with my Lord. Um, so the, that's been a big change. And it has been a very fruitful change um, with my attitude uh, and praying for me and praying for the world and praying for the guys I work with, uh, everything. Uh, I found out, in the, you know, if I, the more I pray for people, the more I love them. Uh, and it's hard to get mad at work at someone you've, you know, Hey, I just prayed for that guy this morning. And, you know, I really do. I, I know we may struggle with this, this, or this together, but, but you know what, he's a child of God too. And, and he deserves my prayers. And so that's been a, that's been a huge thing. Uh, making that connection with God once, twice, three times a day. I know from reading, um, some autobiographies, John Paul II, one of my heroes, that his people that, I guess you call them handlers or assistants or whatever, but they would be out somewhere. They could be anywhere in the world, and all of a sudden, uh, John Paul would disappear, and they knew where to find him. He would be in prayer. Uh, if he saw a chapel, he could just not walk by a chapel without stopping and saying a rosary, and that was his, his dedication uh, to our mother, to, to Mary. Uh, he just, he, he really frustrated the people that he worked with because they couldn't, they couldn't keep on a schedule with him because he had to pray so much. So I figure if, uh, someone as great as John Paul II had to pray constantly, then, then maybe I need to 
I need to try that too myself and, and it does work. Yeah. I did. That is a good story. I did not know that John Paul was stop and pray in the chapels, but that that's a good point. That makes you think about your prayer life. While we're on this uh, topic, uh, what does your family and your wife and uh, your friends, what, what role do they play in your formation? Well, wives are, uh, are, I don't, I'm trying to think of an, of an adjective to use. Um, I I can't describe uh, what my wife uh, has meant to me on this journey. Uh, And, and it's her journey too. Um, She's having to give me up in a sense. Um, She's got to give me away uh, so I can go and serve others, but they are encouraged to, um, to go to the classes with us. Um, and not all wives attend all classes, but most of our wives are there. Oh, we meet on a, on a weekend from Friday evening to Sunday afternoon. And some of them are in and out. Uh, we travel, uh, it's a two and a half hour drive. We stay over there. So Sonia is there for most of the classes. Uh, and it's been a great journey for her. Uh, not only just learning the facts that we're learning, but it's been a great spiritual journey for her. Um, Wives are of so much importance that the first rule that we were given is if your wife says uh, you're out, you're out. Uh, There's no, no argument um, that if, if she sees something, um, wrong or however you want to put it but uh, she makes the call Uh, you have no recourse with that call and it has happened not in our class but I I heard it has happened that a wife said nope this is too much this is not right and we're not going any further and to me that's fine that's great Um, my wife would not want me to go through this if she saw a reason why I should and whether that's spiritually or mechanically or or physically whatever it is um, I trust her enough I know her enough that if she said no it's not right then that decision would be fine with me Um, she would not even at this point in the process well we've gone so far we might as well just you know go ahead and go no um so that's the importance that the bishop lays on the wives. Uh, and I think all the men in our class, I, I see that, that, you know, they have, you've got to have a rock solid marriage or you're not going to make it uh, as a deacon uh, because you're going to have to get up and leave during a birthday party, or you may miss parts of holidays i mean again we talk about how much we catholics like to celebrate well the deacon's got to be there for some of that celebration so um will i be there every every moment no i'll miss a few things but um she's also the one they they kind of recommend that uh, she keep your schedule because um as a deacon you, you especially a new deacon um might try to do too much and she's she's the one that can make that call and say no your schedule's full or you know 
it's been two weeks, you know, since we sat down and had dinner together and, you know, tonight's the night you just stay home. Uh, so they use, they use her as a great measuring, measuring device. So I can't say enough about wives. I can't say enough about my wife. Um, I wouldn't be close to where I'm at spiritually. Uh, she challenges me spiritually. Uh, she knows scripture better than I. And so I use her jokingly as my scripture reference when I, when I can't find that chapter and verse, um, I just holler at her and she knows. So, um, and then, you know, I'll go, uh, my mother's still alive. Uh, she just turned 93. Um, totally encouraging. Um, again, just uh, with her, one of the things she said, well, I just don't know what I can do for you. All, all I can do, I'm just, uh, I, I, all I can do is pray. I can't do anything else i'm like mom that's like the most important thing you can do you know uh so i encourage my mom you know to not not just pray for me but you know to pray for for our parish to pray for all the deacon candidates pray for the bishop pray for the president you know pray as much as you can and and she feels a sense of uh of worth that way but it's also it's so necessary william we can't do anything without the support of prayer and so my mom has been uh, just one of the one of the cornerstones of of my deacon journey um i'm the youngest of nine and and so uh, i i tell my oldest brother i'm doing it to finally get some respect from him you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe he'll salute me uh, or or whatever you're supposed to do to a deacon. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, he'll do that when I when I'm finally ordained. Ordained. <laughs> um, no, we they've they've had a lot of fun with it. Um, each and every one of them have came to me individually um, and said, you know, this is a big thing you're doing, and uh, and so just very supportive on the journey. Um, my one sister, I'll give a shout out to my sister Nancy who before I started the journey, I'm like, you know, five years, that's a long time. Uh, you know, I just, there's other things I could do and, and, and feel more useful during that five years. And my sister, Nancy, and, uh, in her wisdom, she said, ah, oh, what else are you going to do for the next five years? You know, you might as well just go ahead and do it. And before you know it, five years will be up. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, and she's right. Um, I'm three and a half years into it and it does just seem like, a just a moment, um, yeah, just a moment ago that we, <laughs> we were in the, in the parking lot there at the diocesan office with that package, you know, praying over it and trying to get our guts up to go in and, and hand it off to them, you know, and, and it's been a great journey. The other part I'll add to that is that the, the Diocese of Belleville, there's 15 of us that are <clears throat> in formation at this point. There are two men from Springfield Cape, Missouri um, Diocese. They don't have their own program. I think a few 
years back, there was one gentleman from Springfield that wanted to become a deacon. They didn't have a program, but he was close enough to Belleville and he sought that out and was able to join in with the Belleville crew and, and go through formation with them. And so the Belleville Diocese in Illinois and Springfield, Cape Girardeau in Missouri uh, joined together. Uh, so there's 15 from Belleville, two from Springfield Cape. Those men are, they're unbelievable. Um, I've only known them now for three and a half years and every one of them, I feel like I've known my whole life or I feel like maybe my life just started three and a half years ago with, with the journey that we've been through. Um, there's been, it's an amazing bonding experience because uh, there are, there's, there's 17 of us. So there's 16 men that I can look at and I know they're going through the same trials, the same everything that I am right now in order to, to, to climb this mountain. And uh, believe me, uh, they have been a huge help in, uh, in getting me up, up this mountain as far as I am now. Um, I'm already looking toward ordination uh, and not looking forward to not seeing those guys once a month. Um, hopefully we'll, we've already promised each other that, you know, we're going to stay connected somehow that we will, we will talk, we will email, uh, we will get together, uh, to support each other in our ministries. Um, so that's kind of, they're the backbone, I guess, of what I'm doing. Uh, you know, my family, uh, they're the prayer, uh, they're the support, but boy the the major support that i'm getting is from those other men that are that are doing the same thing that i'm doing uh and to see the gifts that each one has that's another uh, a really cool thing to watch william is that we've got guys that are gifted in so many different ways um, there's no they're not cramming us all down through the same mold and trying to make you know all these little 17 little statues that look the same uh there are, there's amazing men. There are men that just can't stop serving. They're, they're just on their feet, even at our formations with, you know, just making coffee and, you know, dumping trash cans and making sure this is going and that's going. And just, there are men that are just so wise, that are so well read, that have read hundreds more books than, than I probably will ever read in my lifetime, you know, and know so much more about the saints. And, it's just an amazing group. And then you throw in the wives. We're all married. Yes, we're all married. And uh, you throw the wives into that group. And it's just, there's 34 amazing, amazing people that, uh, that God has surrounded us with. And, and it, it's going to, it's taken all 34 of us to, to get through this journey together. Uh, we've had, you know, we've already had a parents passing away and, you know, or, you know, just the typical things that happen to children in high school or, you know, grandkids being born and, you know, all the different life things that we've all shared together and to get to see it in more of a spiritual way, how it affects people spiritually, both the good and the bad. 
has been really, really important. Yeah, that that's amazing. Honestly, how you were talking about like all the variety and personalities and everything, and that that's understandable because like seventeen or thirty four, if you include the wives, that's a lot of people going through seminary uh, at one time, especially nowadays. Yeah, and if we were all the same, it'd pretty it'd be pretty doggone boring, I think. You know, <laughs> and then it's kind of the way Sonia and I look at the world. You know, uh, you think egotistically i guess you know hey, i'm pretty smart why didn't everybody more like me you know well it, it would just be pretty boring wouldn't it yeah definitely i, I mean that's why we all have different personalities because then uh, if everybody knew what everyone else was talking about wouldn't be much fun <laughs> well you know look at your church family you know or just look at your family you know uh but yeah, your church family it takes it takes you know people say I sing well, and maybe I do. Uh, I've just never been real comfortable singing. So I'm not a choir member. Uh, there are people in the choir, I'm sure that, and boy, I may get in trouble here. I have to be careful, but uh, maybe there's some people in the choir that can't cook and you don't want them cooking that meal, you know, for the whole church on, you know, uh, you know, there's just all these different gifts that it, that it takes to, you know, it, there are some really bright financial minds. Uh, you know, there's, there's some people in the church that, you know, they, they take care of the money and I'm glad they're taking care of it because I can't, you know? Uh, so it, it does, it takes all these spiritual gifts to put a congregation together. And so you get to see that with the deacon class, you know, like I said, uh, there's one one guy. It doesn't matter what happens. He's always got four or five cards when we show up. You, know, you need to sign this card because so and so sick or so and so's going to have surgery or you know this happened and we're going to send him a card. You know, and just that one small little thing that Fred does, and I'll, I'll call him out on this, man. His name's Fred. He's just an unbelievable guy. Uh, Casey, uh, all about the Casey's, but you know Fred's always got the card. He just always does. He's always thinking that way that, you know, hey, somebody did this and we need to recognize him for that. Let's thank him for that and send him a card, you know. So, yeah. Um, of course, all the women, it seems like all of them can cook. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> we 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 eat way too much that I, I jokingly say that's uh, gluttony is one sin that uh, we haven't dealt with very well uh, at, at our deacon formation. It's actually it's actually been encouraged, but uh, <laughs> all the women can cook. I'll tell you what, half the men have, have, have showed off some pretty good cooking skills too. So they feed us real well. And I say that's so we don't run too far. Patty keeps us pretty close uh, um, as far as uh, she, she finds uh, good restaurants for us to, uh, they, they deliver right to us. We don't travel too far. We, we get in our little meeting and, and, and we stay there for two and a half days. We, we get to leave. Uh, we go to Saturday night mass. Uh, one of the neat things is uh, Belleville, there's quite a few churches. It's a fairly metropolitan area. So we've gotten to travel around and uh, within a 20 minute drive, there's probably at least a half a dozen churches. So we've met quite a few different priests and seen quite a few different um, sanctuaries. And that's been nice too. Yeah. 
and that that one that sounds fun honestly being able to meet uh like your like you said different priests through all of the people you know through your seminary that's amazing that you get to meet so many different members of the church that's been one of the perks you know as far as as far as us getting together those weekends are hard uh, uh, you know we we start friday night at six o'clock and we're done at noon on sunday uh and you know it's Number one, it's just a lot of sitting and listening, uh, you know, about 12 hours of lecture, I would assume, uh, over the course of, of those, you know, two days. Um, so it, it's hard, but uh, yeah, that's one of the perks of the job. I've met, uh, I've met other deacons. We get to see other deacons in action by going to, you know, these different congregations. I've met some priests that I didn't know. I've reconnected with some priests that I did know. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's been uh, a, a real blessing. And, you know, every priest is a little different on, on his method. Uh, and so it's neat to see, uh, you know, how one, one conducts mass uh, compared to others. And they're all beautiful. It's mass. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the way that anybody, anybody does mass, but it is nice to get to see the little different nuances that, that priests bring to mass. Yeah. I have just one or two more questions for you. Um, sure. One, one of these is kind of going to be uh, uh, backwards from what we've been talking about. Are there any particular reasons that someone would not be allowed to become a deacon? Wow, that's a that's a great question uh, because we always talk so much in the positive, don't we? Um, you know, I guess if someone was seeking out the diaconate um, for maybe how do I say putting a feather in their cap as far as another accomplishment in their life, uh, I don't look at it as an accomplishment i look at it as a mission and i think if uh if you were there just to gain the knowledge because the classes are awesome they are they're unbelievable some of the authors and the lecturers that we have uh are just they're unbelievable men and, and some of the authors that we've been introduced to are unbelievable um one of the things that uh, the diaconate maybe gets a bad rap for is you know, well, it's just something for retired men to do. And I, I don't feel that way. Uh, I am on the older end of uh, actually even being allowed to go through classes. I think uh, there's some differences in diocese to diocese. I don't think they will uh, ordain you after 60. And some diocese may be a little older than that uh so it's not just you know it's not just another hobby something to fill time in retirement um i don't really have that desire to do that much uh, travel or anything in retirement i i want to I want to get started in the diaconate and and carry that into my retirement uh, as far as a mission so yeah, I can I could see that some guys may have in their mind that, you know, it's it's another step. I could take another feather in my cap. Um, you know, we've been warned if you don't have that heart for service, then you really are. You know, you're in the wrong place. 
So I, that's a great question, William. I hadn't really thought too much about uh, the negative side of that. Um, it's the diaconate would not be anywhere that you would arrive, I guess is it, it it's, it's, it's not that much different than our, than our, our Christian journey. We don't arrive anywhere uh, until the end. Um, we are, you strive to do better and better, hopefully every day, every moment, sometimes, uh, you know, we slip even, even in the, uh, in the smallest of moments, we can go backwards, but uh, we strive to get better every day. We strive to be more like Jesus every day. We strive to be more like Mary every day. And uh, so to think that that ordination is some kind of uh, a pinnacle, that would, I'm, I'm sure that that's, that's just totally wrong thinking and that hopefully they would, you know, catch that early on in the process. And if you're just, you know, like I said, taking the classes to gain knowledge, um, that's a big part of what we're doing. Believe me, uh, we have to know a lot or at least know where to find it. Um, we can't study the catechism from one end of the book to the other, but we're going to need to know how to use it. You know, when questions come up, uh, uh, scripture, same way. I, I love scripture. I, I still learn from it. Uh, but I have to, I have to be able to, just know where to find things. So uh, if I'm doing this to gain knowledge, I'm in it for the wrong reason. Knowledge is important, um, but it's not, it's not key to what we are doing. Uh, you think back to a man like St. Stephen, how much knowledge did he have? Um, you know, maybe he knew the, the scriptures, the Old Testament. I don't know. Maybe not. You don't have to have knowledge to be a, a servant of God. Uh, matter of fact, sometimes I think knowledge gets in the way. You know, just get your head out of the way and, and, and find something that you're good at and, and do it. But So maybe those two things, William, that, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was asking. Actually, that's what I was like, just I was just curious. Um, the last question that I have for you really is uh, uh, what is your favorite part of all of this? Like your favorite person you read, studied, your, just your favorite, anything really. Wow. Um, one of the things that, that this program has done for me is open up the ancient writing, I guess I'm going to call it. Um, there are some really smart men uh, that wrote some really good books that are now over a thousand years old that have stood the test of time and their wisdom can still be gleaned out of that. Um, so there's some intimidating names, uh, Augustine, Anselm, um, those are some pretty deep thinkers and some very smart, smart men. Um, but when you read the books and when you have 
good lecturers like what we have. I mean, we got guys from Notre Dame, we got guys from Stanford, uh, got a, uh, the one instructor we had for Christology and Mariology works for the United States Council of Catholic Bishops in Washington, D.C. I mean, wow. you know, they're just, they're big deal. These are some really smart people that, that know where we're at and they don't lecture too far above our heads. They are, they're, they're so smart. They can bring it down to our level. And so when you meet someone that can take a guest and, and, and really, really walk you through it and help you glean knowledge from that, um, there it's, it's amazing. Um, so I think uh, the one thing, I, and I would I would suggest this to a lot of people: don't be afraid. Uh, when you first start reading Augustine uh, or Anselm, they use some big words, um, and you may have to read a paragraph two or three times. Have your phone handy so you can look up some of the words. You know, I'm I'm serious. It's very difficult at times, but if you really push yourself to read through it, read through it slowly. Uh, Wow. Uh, if if you haven't read Augustine uh, Confessions, to me that it, if you want to really dive deep into into the beginning of someone's journey, uh, his book Confessions is is an amazing book. It's one of probably in the top five uh, Catholic books of all time. It's over a thousand years old but it's accessible. It really is. Uh, there's plenty of translations out there that have brought the language down to, to thing to language that we can understand. Um, one of my favorite authors before I started this journey, uh, C.S. Lewis, a really smart man. I uh, wrote oh, yeah. in the probably what in the forties and fifties and into the sixties. Um, course a lot of people are familiar with the chronicles of, of narnia or um mere christianity which mere christianity is a great book and it will be a great book in 500 years people will still read that book but c.s lewis even said that you should read the ancient authors um he said read these books that have stood the test of time he said my writings are only 20 and 30 years old and when you read Anselm and Augustine, uh, Aquinas, Thomas More, you're reading books that have stood the test of time of 500 years and more. And they still, these books can still deliver what they were meant to deliver the day they were written. So I had a lot of respect for C.S. Lewis to say that. And, uh, and so our, our instructors encouraged us, you know, and assigned us, not necessarily encouraged, here's what you're reading. It's not your <laughs> choice. Um, but, you know, I've encouraged us to dig into those older texts and they have so much to deliver and they do. Um, so I'm going to bring you forward to two authors, uh, modern day authors. Uh, the first one really connected with me, uh, Thomas Merton, um, who wrote in the 40s, 50s, and into the 60s. He's a Trappist monk uh, from actually uh, not far from here. Uh, Bardstown, Kentucky is where his 
Abby was at. I think he actually grew up in, I want to say France and ended up in New York. And uh, there's a great book on, on his journey of becoming a Christian. Uh, he also wrote a book. It's called um, New Seeds of Contemplation. And I read that book for a class uh, and actually was assigned that book by the head of the Thomas Merton Center at Bellarmine University. Thomas Merton's personal effects and writings and all his manuscripts are at Bellarmine University in Louisville. And one of our instructors uh, was from Bellarmine. And like I said, heads up the archives there. Thomas Merton has a way of looking at nature and seeing God and he can find God in, in, in any situation in life. Uh, and he taught me how to just relax and think and let God kind of watch over me. And it's, it's a hard book to describe on how it affected me, but um, it affected me on that deep personal level of, of just contemplating, you know, you should really stop and on occasion, slow down, go find a place to sit and think about God and why, why he created us and why he loves us so much. Um, Merton was adventurous, um, to say the least. He was a Buddhist, uh, sorry, he was a Trappist monk, but he was curious. Um, he thought all religions, um, had something to contribute even to his growth. And so he would talk to Buddhists. Uh, he, he would talk to, to different people. Uh, and he, like I say, even non-Christians to, you know, how do you pray? How do you think, uh, why do you think these things? And so a lot of people didn't, a lot of people questioned even his Christianity just because he was open to conversation with so many different religions. But he thought that, you know, all men of prayer, all men of faith uh, had something to offer. And he was able to take things from from all the world religions and apply it to to his Christianity. And um, just a really smart man. Uh, and the other one I'll, I'll, I would like to mention, in my opinion, and that's very humble opinion, this is just little old Jim from Mount Carmel, Illinois. Uh, but I think um, as far as a Catholic or any Christian, uh, you need to read anything that Pope Benedict XVI has written. Um, probably, in my humble opinion, he's the smartest man alive. Um, there's no one that knows scripture. Uh, in my opinion, again, uh, there's no one that knows scripture uh, the way he does. Uh, again, tough reads big words uh you'll be reading paragraphs two and three times but his his outlook on scripture is one that i had never i guess i'd never looked at um he interprets scripture in in a way that that was different to me he doesn't uh he interprets scripture as a whole uh he looks at one verse and wants to know how it applies, you know, how it fits into the whole of scripture. So if he's reading something from the gospel of Matthew, well, why is that here? You know, how does that connect me all the way back to Genesis and all the way forward to revelation? So 
he, he tries to look at scripture as, you know, the whole chunk of scripture, not just the one little verse. Um, and he has um, a series on Jesus that I think he's written since he uh, retired. Um, a three book series on Jesus that uh, that everyone needs to read. Uh, so those two authors have probably made the biggest impact on me in my studies. Uh, but again, there are just so many authors. Uh, I would suggest to somebody that's um, maybe new to scripture, uh, someone like Brad Petrie or um, try, I'm going to lose his first name. Bergsma is his last name. Um, they write very, very. Sorry, I was going to say it's. Think it's Tom Bergsma, isn't it? Or did I, I don't know. Okay, I'm not I'm, sure. I may have had that wrong, but that's that's what popped into my head. So they write very accessible uh, books on scripture. Uh, Petrie wrote a book that I read not too long ago on in. I know you hear a lot in your life. Uh, oh, read this book. It changed my life. Um, we hear that a lot. But Brad Petrie wrote a book on Mary, on finding her in the Old Testament. It's called Mary and the Jewish Roots of Jesus. And it changed my thinking on Mary. I was never a big Mary person. I, I don't know how else to put that. But my challenge with, with a lot of my thinking is how do I find this in scripture? Okay. You want me to, you want me to be devoted to Mary? Show me in scripture. And I never had found that until I read this Petrie book and she is all over the old Testament. She is everything that we celebrate as a Catholic church about Mary is in the Old Testament. It's there. And Brad Petrie brought that forward to me. So uh, he'd be one that I would encourage people that are really new to scripture. Uh, his insights to scripture are amazing. And he can he brought it down to my level and really helped me out. So I know I talk a lot. Uh, I'm pretty excited about, especially when you talk about authors in scripture, I can get I can go on forever and I don't want to do that, but Thomas Merton, uh, Pope Saint, or not Saint, sorry, Pope Benedict the 16th. And then go backwards. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of these guys. Uh, they're smart. And what makes them so smart is it is fairly accessible with Aquinas, Augustine, Anselm. They're fairly accessible. If you work at it a little bit, you'll learn a lot. Yeah, you definitely will. Um, I, I haven't read as much by those two authors, but have I've heard a little bit by them, and they, they do really well, honestly. They have great stuff. Um, that is honestly really all I had. So um, if I had any more questions, I would ask them, but I think I exhausted my repertoire during this. Great. Um, we're, um, I'm sure I, I know I am, I'm sure all our listeners are very grateful to have you on. Definitely. That I thank you for coming on. Oh, 
not a problem. Like I said, I'm, I'm very excited, uh, especially to talk about my journey at this time. But yeah. And then when you started bringing up books and authors, I know, uh, wow, we can just, we can go on forever because, uh, it's not hard for me, uh, cause there's so many people out there that are smarter than me, William. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of authors are really cool because they're just so smart, but, uh, um, it's been a fun journey, uh, and your family, William, has been a big part of it. You guys are a great witness. Uh, I've watched you guys grow up from from pretty small, small fellers, and uh, we've spent some time up at uh, up at St. Minerid Arch Abbey, uh, which is a a huge, huge part of my my spiritual journey now. Uh, I I didn't I can't tell you I didn't even know what a monk was until what five years ago, six years ago, when I really went up and, and met and talked and prayed and sang and celebrated mass with these men, what, what special men they are. So, and your mom introduced us to those guys. So uh, you guys are a big part of our journey too. And we appreciate that. And I know without you telling me that you guys are praying for us too. And I appreciate that. Yes, definitely. And you, you're right. The monks are, if you we're really blessed to have St. Minard so close, it's not very long of a drive for us at all. And that's really a big part of anyone's spiritual journey who lives near it, I think. Cause like I was the same way. I didn't really know when I was younger. I used, when I thought monk, I used to think of like the stereotypical monk, dark cave, black hoods, holding candles, like, I used to think of like all right. the cartoonish monks, but when you meet a monk in real life, it's completely different. So, yeah, I have, I have, uh, I don't think I've laughed any harder than, than what I laughed. We, we visited in December and had dinner uh, when uh, Sonia uh, took her final oblation and we had dinner uh, with, uh, oh, Father Mateo and I think it's brother Michael. Uh, he's Filipino also. I hadn't laughed so hard in, in such a long time. What a, what a great couple of guys that we, we ate together and we just laughed and joked and, and we had so much fun. They were giving us some of the behind the scenes, uh, history of St. Minard. Uh, and between that and seeing, when you can sit down and have a joyful meal with those guys like that. And then an hour later you're in that church, you know, singing and praying together. And then an hour after that, you may be taking a long walk across the grounds with them and you see how diversified they are in their, in their prayer and their spiritual walk. Um, yeah. I, I didn't have a clue what a monk was. I didn't, you know, I'm like you, you know, they're just a, kind of funny looking guys. And, but, uh, again, um, as with authors, uh, you know, you want to, you want to learn, find somebody smarter than you. And for us, that's not a, not a far journey to, to go an hour. And, uh, there's a lot of men up there that are smarter than you and I aren't there. Yeah, they really are. And they're not afraid to share their life with us either, you know, and their journey at all. And, and help us with ours. So it's awesome. It is. 
Well, again, I want to thank you for coming on. I very much appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, not a problem. It was fun. I hope we get to do it. I hope you liked it enough. We'll do it again sometime. We will, definitely. I can promise you that. Great. Well, do you want to close in prayer? Yeah, we will. Um, I'm going to say real quick for the listeners, I will put the authors mention uh, Dr. Brant Petrie and John Bergsma. Um, I'll put them down in the show notes with some references to some of their writings. Um, so in case anyone wants those and we can close in prayer. Do you want to lead in prayer or do you want me to? Sure. Oh, I'll, I'll close in prayer. Let's say a right. Hail Mary together. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to get here together tonight. Um, I thank you for William and the witness that he is to me and his whole family. We just thank you for our parish family, our diocesan family. Most of all, Father, tonight, we just want to lift up the prayers of our Holy Father, Francis, and we thank you for the leadership that he tries to give us every day, every moment of his life. What a great witness he is. We thank you for all those authors, all those monks, everybody we talked about tonight that have helped us along our spiritual journey. And we want to lift them up and ask for Mary to pray for them right now. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Mary, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray, pray for, for us. us. Thank you, William. Right. Thank you. I very, again, very much appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this for us. And uh, that was a wonderful closing prayer. So thank you for that as well. <laughs> all righty, guys, that's all we have. Hope you enjoyed. There will be some references to Dr. Brant Petrie and Dr. John Bergsma down in the show notes. Uh, feel free to leave a comment about anything we can do in future. Hope you guys enjoyed. Have a great day.